Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles yet again to yet another familiar text. This time it is Matthew chapter 28. And we want to look together at verses 18 through 20. If you grew up in a Southern Baptist church or if you grew up in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, this is a passage that you know quite well. We're going to look at Matthew 28, but we're also going to look at Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42. But let's begin in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, now we thank you for your word. We thank you for this good gift of the Lord's day. And we pray that your spirit would indeed accompany the preaching of your word, that Father, uh, as we seek to be faithful as a congregation to making disciples, that Lord, you would use this time to shape us and form us to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thirteen years ago, when we planted Grace Church, no one on the plant team had any idea what we were doing. None of us, none of the families involved had ever been a part of a church plant. And while I had pastored for over a decade, I had never pastored in the PCA and I had never attempted to plant a church. All that to say that there were a couple things that were then simultaneously true. First, lots of mistakes were made. We were making stuff up as we went. We had some guiding principles. Uh, If you've been through our new members class, you know what those guiding principles are. We wanted to be committed to word, worship, and witness. But second, and more importantly, Jesus built his church. He did exactly what he promised he would do. And what has been built has not been my church. It's not the group that planted the church. It's not their church. It's not the denomination's church. No, Grace Church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, over the past 13 years, I've learned more than a few things that I'm looking forward to passing on, both to you and also to aspiring church planters in the Reformed Theological Seminary system. Understand, though, that I couldn't have given voice to these 13 years ago. I wish I could have. I believe a whole lot of the turmoil that we've experienced could have been lessened if the concepts of these two texts we're going to look at this morning had been as readily apparent to me then as they are now. So here's what we need to understand. What we need to understand as it pertains to the life of Grace Church is this. Disciples of Jesus are formed via the means of grace. 
Disciples of Jesus are formed via the means of grace. And you're going, okay, so great, big deal. Why, why, why is this something that it's taken you 13 years to figure out? Well, let's take a deeper look at this first. We need to remember our commission. We need to remember our commission. At its core, what is the church supposed to be about? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Or let's, let's ask it in a very American way. What is our business? Right? The business of America is business. So what is our business? Is our business to get people here? Is it to draw a crowd? The late, great Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I know a great way to draw a crowd. Now remember, this is England in the 1930s. Lloyd-Jones said, if you would like to draw a crowd, simply announce in the paper that I will be preaching in my bathing costume. Lots of people will come to see that. Is the goal merely for uh, the institution or the congregation to be financially viable? Now, please understand, there's nothing wrong with being financially viable. We like it that way. But is that the goal? Is it to be a good neighbor and a dynamic part of the transformation of downtown Fremont? Is our business to be supporting the work of gospel ministry here and around the globe in places like Scotland and Kenya? Is our business to be a bastion of traditional moral values and conservative political views? Well, friends, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us our business. And he does it through two great promises or statements of fact. And then he gives us a commission. So let's look at the promises first. Namely, here's the first one. All authority has been given to Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus. So what we are doing and what we are proclaiming is the single most significant and important thing that we could be doing as human beings. Because the resurrected, ascended, second person of the Trinity tells us that all authority has been given to him. Not some authority. Not most authority. All authority. I love the words of uh, the Dutch theologians who uh, understood the, the, uh, the implications of this when they said, hey, there's, there's not a single part of your life over which Jesus does not lay his hands and say, this is mine. Abraham Kuyper. Why did Kuyper say that? Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus. But not only does he have all authority, Jesus is not up there as some sort of megalomaniac who has all authority and now he's a tyrant. No, he tells us that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And we know from Psalm 23 that the presence of God in the lives of his people is both to direct and correct, but it's also to comfort. That Jesus being with us always means the direction and the correction and the comfort that we need as his people is going to be given to us. So, in light of these two realities, that the Lord Jesus Christ has all authority and he will always be with us, 
What's it look like to live our lives if those two things are really true? Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, uh, most of you are probably not all that excited about Greek language and Greek syntax and Greek grammar, but there's a really interesting fact about this Great Commission, and that is there's only one verb. And the one verb is to make disciples. The participles that come after are things that we do because that's what it means to make disciples. So how is it that we make disciples? Disciples, And please note that Jesus tells us that the commission, the task is to make disciples. It's not to make converts. It's not to make like-minded individuals. Rather, our commission, our business, is to be about men, women, boys, and girls who are committed to the authority and presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of their life. Friends, this is not just about the fact that you have a get-out-of-hell-free card in your back pocket for whenever you happen to need it. No, being his disciple means that you understand you are committed to living under the authority, knowing that you are in the presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life, not just what we do for three hours on Sunday morning. So how do we do it? How do we go about this task of making disciples? Do we need some sort of multi-layered marketing approach? A sort of religious Mary Kay? Do we need mass media or the interwebs? No, Jesus gives us two primary tools. How are we to make disciples? Look at what he says, verse 19. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, teach them. Baptize them. Teach them. Now, if you're here this morning and you're still struggling with this idea of covenant baptism, and by the way, we're going to have one, the 26, the youngest stain boys, uh, we're going to have the privilege of baptizing them. But just in case you're struggling with covenant baptism, note the order that Jesus puts these in. Baptize them comes first. Teach them comes second. So in other words, covenant children receive the sign of the covenant. They're baptized and then they're taught. Then we catechize them. We're not teaching them in order to be able to baptize them. No, we baptize them because that's their sign of entrance into the visible church. And then we teach them, we catechize them, we proclaim to them all that the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us. Not the other way around. We're not teaching them in hopes that one day we're going to baptize them. No, we baptize them. And then we go about the work of teaching not just by what we say, but also by what we do. 
Understand then that as Jesus lays this out and as Matthew tells us this, kind of in, in flashing red lights with the grammar, there's only one verb. The verb is to make disciples. And then the participles are things that help us understand what the verb is about. The making disciples is about baptizing and teaching. So in other words, Jesus is giving us the primary means by which we're going to go about our business. How do we make disciples? Word and sacrament. We baptize and we teach. Now, I understand, and I think you do too, there is more to church than simply word and sacrament. I get that. I think if you've been in church for any amount of time, you understand that as well. But friends, there's not less than that. And the one who has promised to be with us always, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who tells us to go and make disciples also tells us how it's supposed to be done. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you think he's kidding Do you think Jesus is making a kindly suggestion? Well, you could do word and sacrament. Or you could do a bunch of other stuff. No. Jesus has made it clear that the primary means by which we are to make disciples is through the ministry of word and sacrament. Now, I realize... If you've been in church any for any period of time, uh, you're maybe a little bit skeptical. Might be thinking, Pastor, I'm not so sure about that. Well, uh, turn from Matthew chapter 28 over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, can be found on page 1097 in your pew Bible. Let's familiarize ourselves with what's going on. In Matthew chapter 28, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has been resurrected. In fact, in the verse right before that we didn't read, we're told that the disciples are up on a mountain in Galilee and Jesus has appeared to them. In Acts chapter 1, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, this wonderful event called Pentecost comes. So now the disciples who have spent the entirety of the Gospels entirely missing the point are actually going to get it. And they're going to get it thanks to the indwelling and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this newly added to church, we're told about how it is now that they're going to go about their business. How are they going to go about fulfilling the commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave them? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So in other words, this is a group of people that were committed to three things. We're going to meet together in order to be taught. When we are together, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. In other words, this is about sacrament. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray. So let's look at those things. The first, you see them in your outline, first apostolic teaching. 
the disciples are taking seriously the command that Jesus gave them. He told them that they were to teach them all that he had commanded them. So every time we gather together, what needs to be front and center is this kind of apostolic teaching. Not because I consider myself an apostle, or because less is somehow a, a, a junior or a ruling apostle or an apostle in training. No, the apostolic teaching is the book that you have in your lap. The Bible, the very word of God, is also the repository of all that Jesus commanded his disciples. It is the apostolic teaching to which we are committed. It doesn't mean that we're claiming that authority somehow for ourselves. It means that we understand that the word of God has the authority and the power of the apostolic witness. But then note, they're not just devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're also, and it's interesting, isn't it, in, 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 in Acts, and it's even more explicit in, in the Greek, they're devoting themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they're together when these things happen. And we looked at that last week. Is it really even essential to come to, I mean, why do we even need to show up? And we understood that one of the reasons we need to show up is because the ascended Christ is giving us gifts each and every Sunday when we gather together. And we can't receive those gifts if we're not here. But we also need to be together because it's a means of encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good to be able to put your, your, your arm around Les Novak's shoulder on a day like today and say, brother, I'm praying for you. Because you know his dad died this past week. It was a wonderful day in the life of our church when John wheeled Deb in for the first time after she had been absent for how many months? Friends, we are encouraging one another in our faith, but we have to be together to do it. And so the early church is devoting themselves not just to the teaching of the apostles, but also to the fellowship. Thirdly, we see that they're committed to the breaking of bread. It doesn't just say they're hanging out and having a meal, right? Church fellowship, there's got to be pie. No, the breaking of bread here is a not-so-thinly-veiled reference to the Lord's Supper. So each time they gather together, they're gathering together, they are not neglecting the fellowship, the Word of God is central, and then when they gather together, the Lord's Supper is observed. And finally then, they are committed to, again, the prayers. Not just praying in general, but they are committed to the Prayers. We know from the book of Acts that the early church, as they were in Jerusalem, was committed to going to the temple twice a day for the times, the seasons of prayer. In other words, these were God's people who were committed to regular rhythms of prayer in their lives. They're asking, they're praying to God the Father through God the Son. That is God's work. That is what God calls his people to do. 
the apostles, having been given this commission to baptize, to teach, to make disciples, the apostles understand that the way they're going to do that, the way they're going to do God's work, is they have to do it in God's way. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42, gives us a wonderful summation of what that actually looks like. Now, when a church is committed to those kinds of things, it means that you're going to say no to a whole lot of other stuff. Listen, I am aware, uh, I, I, this is something Les and I have talked about where we have been aware of it. I know that in a time of transition, you're going to be uh, mindful of these things as you talk to an ex-pastor. These are going to be things that are going to be heavy on your heart. And that is, hey, uh, we'd really like a few more people here. How's that going to work? How's that going to happen? Well, I would argue, I think Acts 2.42 gives us how it is that those things need to happen. This is what we need to be about. We're doing God's work. We need to do God's work in God's way. I mean, if you're committed to that, then there are a whole lot of things that you're going to say no to. When we were uh, in the process of getting ready to plant, we went and talked with a sister church in Lincoln. that had It was the most recent church in our presbytery to be planted. And two things the church planter said that I'll never forget. The first one uh, was never, uh, don't ever forget that Jesus cares more about the church plant than you do. And that has comforted me on more days than I can even count. The second thing he said is, no is the most important word you learn as a church planter. Folks will have all kinds of ideas as to how it is that the church ought to grow. Folks will have all kinds of ideas about how it is that we ought to be, how it is you ought to be about the work that the Lord has called you to. But friends, let me assure you, we are called to do God's work in God's way. But you're going to go, but pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Exactly. Friends, who do you think is supposed to be glorified in all of this? Us, our ability to plan, execute a plan, market, be snazzy? Or do you think that all of this is actually for the glory of the triune God? Well, if it's actually for the glory of the triune God, then the fact that we think these things are foolish, or the fact that we look at these things and we scratch our head and go, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work. Good. Because when they do, then guess who gets the glory? Guess who gets the credit? It's not Bryce because he's awesome. It's not Les and his manly, grandfatherly looking beard. It's not the committee because in their wisdom, they chose just the right person. No, it's Jesus, church. He cares more about it than we ever will. And we must be about doing God's work 
in God's way. We have a wonderful expression this morning of Jesus' promise to us. Remember, he told us that he would be with us always, even until the end of the age. And at the table, the Lord Jesus Christ is spiritually present. He is with us. And he invites us to come and to take and to eat and to drink and to experience the comfort and the power and the goodness of our God. To him be the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you uh, don't leave how this is supposed to be done up to our imagination because we can imagine some really, really stupid stuff. Uh, Father, help us to be gracious because it's easy to look around and uh, see other churches and turn into uh, a critic or turn into uh, somehow the person who's keeping score. Lord, that's not our job. Our job is to be faithful to that which you have called us. So let us, let us be gracious in praying for the other Bible-believing churches in our city. Let us be uh, faithful and gracious in praying that they would be faithful to the task to which you have called us all. Father, let us understand that it's, it's not a competition. We're simply seeing, we're, we're trying to see your kingdom established in this place. We want to see the gospel planted in the city of Fremont. And Lord, we want to do it in a way that means the honor and glory and praise is not going to come to us, but it's going to come to you. So we pray this morning that we would be faithful in doing your work in your way. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.